Hello, Collister Online. For whatever reason, my sermon did not get recorded on Sunday, so I'm actually recording it separately. I'm in my office right now, and uh, I just wanted to make sure that you at least got a snapshot of the sermon for those interested uh, who listen to the podcast. But basically, we're going through a series um, looking at cultural liturgies, cultural practices, rituals, um, and the way in which those shape us. They shape us in ways we're not even aware of. Often they shape us in unconscious ways, right? We're, we're surrounded by habits and practices and values, and we just absorb them without even realizing it. But often uh, these liturgies, these habits, these values are not uh, compatible, at least not perfectly compatible with the kingdom of God. They make it really hard for us to be Christian. So this sermon series has really been trying to engage uh, this question I've been asking myself, what difference should the church make? What difference should showing up weekly, being part of a community, reading scripture, relying on God, uh, seeking one another out in Christian love, like what difference should that make? And in my mind, it should make a huge difference, right? It doesn't always seem to. Like when you look at my life, I look like everyone else. I look like my neighbors who don't go to church at all, my values, uh, my, my sports consumption, the way I spend my money and my time looks like everybody else. But why? Why shouldn't I be set apart salt and light for the world? And so I began thinking about this. And part of it, I think, is we've lost some of the liturgies, the rituals, the habits, the practices of the Christian tradition. So can we replace some of the cultural values and practices that take us away from the kingdom and replace them with liturgies and rituals and practices that shape us into the likeness of the kingdom. If you're looking for interesting reading, some of this comes from Jamie Smith's book, Desiring the Kingdom. Uh, another book he wrote, very similar, he, he writes a book called You Are What You Love. And essentially his point is that, that human beings are driven by what we love, what we desire, but all of that is shaped by what we do habitually, what we do regularly. That shapes our desires, right? So if we want to love God, love our neighbor, love the kingdom of God, have those desires, then we have to institute those rituals and practices. So one of the things I wanted to look at this week was the culture we live in, in the United States, the culture I live in, is obsessed with success, with winning uh, with competition. And I want to contrast that with the kingdom of God call to service, right? So you go almost anywhere in our world and it is about how, how, how much did you close this quarter? How many cases did you win as a lawyer? Are you out competing the other small businesses in your area, right? Our entire economic system is built on competition Success is about profit margins, right? Uh, Outcompeting uh, your your primary competitors. Uh, it's about winning, right? So success, get to the top, win the race. We love sports, totally defined by competition and winning. But what's interesting about this culture of success defined as money and winning, right, and competition is that it triggers certain psychological mechanisms in our brain. We know that when we are competing, right, certain cognitive processes trigger that cause us to act certain ways, value certain things, become a certain 
right way in the world. And it's very different than if mechanisms get triggered that are around cooperation, around community, around sharing, around service. They're not the same. They're at odds with each other neurologically, right? So I'll give a, a few examples, right? I don't know if any of you have seen The Bachelor, right? I, I assume you've at least heard about it, right? So you've got the show The Bachelor. You've got the show The Bachelorette. In The Bachelor, you have one single guy, often incredibly successful and good-looking, and there's 20 women. It's a reality show, right? 20 women. They all are brought to some giant mansion, and then the guy gets to know the 20 girls. They go on dates. He says, oh, I'm going to remove these five. I'm going to cut it down to 15, to 10, down to eventually one, and then they're supposed to get engaged. Weird, right? Very popular show. But here's what's crazy. Do you want to know what happens every single season? And there's been like 40 seasons of The Bachelor. Every single season, all 20 women fall in love with him. Every time without fail, they all love him. No one wants to go home. No one goes on a date or has coffee and then says, ah, you know, this guy's kind of creepy. I want to get out of here. Nope. They all want the rose. They all want to stay on the show. They all want to be with him. And it's the same with The Bachelorette. In that show, you have one woman. 20 men all vying for her affection and all 20 fall in love and she slowly whittles them down. But here's the thing. It's obvious that that's not real, that in the real world, if he went on a date with all 20 of these women separately, that some of them would be like, Oh, he's not my type. You know, he's kind of dull. He's abrasive. I don't like him. But the moment you put people in competition with each other, the moment these, this group of women, or this group of men is competing against one another, vying for the attention of this person, the way they see the world and think about the world shifts, and they want that attention. Oh, I love him. No, this, I want the rose, right? Competition creates a different way of experiencing the world, valuing, valuing the world, seeing the world. So that competition is troubling because now it's hard to know, do I really care about this person or do I just want to beat these other men or these other women for attention? Or take my wife as an example, who I love very much. And in fact, I would describe her as delightful. If you know her, she is funny. She is fun to be around. She is lovely. Unless you play games with her. Unless you are in some competitive endeavor with her. Because I can tell you right now, you play a board game with Kelly and you're not going to get delightful Kelly. You're going to get competitive Kelly. And it's like scatter the board, push the cards off the table kind of competition. Something triggers in her. And when she is competing, it's different. In fact, not too long ago, we were playing a game and she said something so mean to our son, our 13 year old, that after the game, she felt shame. And she was like, you know, I, I don't think I should play games uh, anymore. And instead of saying like, oh, no, no, it wasn't that bad. I was like, I think that's a good idea. <laughs> I think maybe you shouldn't play games anymore, right? Um, but again, I'm not above this, right? Uh, but for, for her, board game sort of triggers this, this competition that it's like win at all costs. I think about our political system, win at all costs. You can compromise almost anything in terms of character, core principles or values for the sake of winning, right? So there's a danger, I think, in our culture telling us that the most important thing is this kind of success and winning. 
And of course, Jesus has a lot to say about it, right? So I'm going to read from Mark chapter 9, verse 33. When the disciples and Jesus had come into the house, Jesus asked them, what were you arguing about during the journey? The disciples didn't respond since all the way they had been debating with each other about which one of them was the greatest. Jesus sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be least of all and the servant of all. They didn't want to answer the disciples, right? Because they're embarrassed. They got caught. They realized, oh, but I'm like the disciples, and I'm guessing you are, right? That's a question I'd be asking, like, which one of us is the most faithful? Which one of us is the most Jesus-y, right? The most Christ-like. Who's the greatest here? And Jesus, recognizing it, confronts them about the way they think about success, the way they think about competition. You want to be the greatest, you better be the least, the most humble, the servant of all. Luke chapter 22, verse 24, something similar. An argument broke out among the disciples over which one of them should be regarded as the greatest. But Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles rule over their subjects, and those in authority over them are called friends of the people. But that's not how it will be with you. That's not how we think about success or power or winning. Instead, Jesus says, the greatest among you must become like a person of lower status and the leader like a servant. So which one is greater, the one who is seated at the table or the one who serves at the table? Isn't it the one seated at the table? Question mark. And then Jesus says, nope, I'm among you as one who serves at the table. And then, of course, if we look at John 13, Jesus doesn't just talk about being a servant. But at the Last Supper, before they sit down to eat, Jesus takes off his tunic and washes the disciples' feet. And Jesus says, after he washes the disciples' feet, I have given you an example right now. Just as I have done, you must also do. I assure you, servants, that you are not greater than your master, nor are you greater than the one who sent you. Since you know these things, you will be happy when you do them. Serve one another. Jesus what, I mean, again, I just for a minute stop and think about sandals, trudging through Galilee, ancient Jerusalem. Those feet are nasty, gross feet. And Jesus is down there washing them saying, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. It's not your version of success. It's not your version of winning or competition. I'm flipping that upside down. You need to be in a state of mind of cooperation. You're in this together. You need each other. Serve one another. Love one another. As Christians, we have to begin to disentangle ourselves from the mindset of winning, of success, of competition. And we've got to implement the mindset of cooperation, of service, of humility. And this is so difficult because I like winning and I like competing and it's natural to me. And I don't think it's always wrong. It's just become so unhealthy, so lopsided in our culture. 
And so my challenge to you is to find ways to become less focused on success as the world defines it, less focused on money, wealth, power, and competition as the world defines it, and more focused on service to others. Now, part of this is becoming aware. It's self-awareness. So I'll give an example. Every time I feel envious, right, you get on social media and other people's lives look better than yours. That envy, oh, maybe I should be doing more, serving more, loving more. I I should take my family on more vacations. Why aren't I like so-and-so? The moment I become envious, I have to stop for a minute and recognize this is all based on comparison. This envy is about me comparing myself to other people based on the criteria of success my culture defines, and I've come up lacking. I've lost the competitive game. I'm less successful, and now I feel envious. I have to recognize it's happening, and I have to knock it off. And I have to find my value and worth in something else, namely God. When I feel insecure about who I am, how I look, how I am at my job, what's going on, That insecurity is because I'm playing a competitive game with the people around me and I've come up lacking. And because I feel less than, I feel insecure. Without even knowing it, I'm competitive. I'm measuring my success against other people rather than success in the eyes of God. And I need to knock it off. Part of this is just becoming self-aware of when these things happen. Turning back to God and saying, how do I get in a mindset of love, of service, of cooperation, of I am enough. Some new rituals or practices or liturgies that we might engage. Find service regularly. Have something weekly where you are serving people that need your gifts, your time, your talents. Spend time engaged in those kinds of practices where you're cooperating where you're loving, where you're serving, the more you can do this regularly, the more you get out of the mindset of competition and you start to realize there are people in real need and we can can make a difference together, right? How can we continue to just shift ourselves from the competitive game to the cooperative game? And Collister offers all kinds of opportunities to serve. Serve Taft, serve the refugee community, serve the Collister Community House. We're moving now towards serving interfaith and our homeless population, our homeless brothers and sisters. The more we do this, the more we're in this together, the better off we'll be. So consider how we might break free from successes defined by our culture and think of it the way Jesus talks about it with his disciples. You want to be the greatest? Learn to be a servant of all. Amen?